Many years ago, I uh, heard Dr. James Dobson tell an experience that uh, he shared in his medical practice days. You may know that Dr. Dobson was uh, and is a great author. It's on the radio, television, various ministries, focus on the family. But he told a story about a, a family that, to whom a little baby girl was born. This little baby girl was uh, diagnosed quite quickly to have a very, very dangerous blood disorder. She had a very rare type of blood and a genetic problem in regard to that. And so she was going to need uh, a transfusion. But in checking the mother and the father's uh, blood type, neither of one of them were uh, suitable to be donors. But then they tested the blood type of her brother, their son, who was about five years of age. And they found out that he was a perfect match. And so the parents went to the little boy, and they explained as best they could uh, the situation with his baby sister, Ex explained about her need of blood and how his was the perfect match, and they asked if he would be willing to give some blood so that uh, she could have a chance for recovery. And he was thoughtful, thoughtful for a while, and then he said, yes, he would do that. And so very quickly, there was an appointment made at the hospital. They uh, took the son, and they took blood from him, transfusion, took it over to the baby, and the process that needed to happen with that blood, and, and it was given into her body. The little boy had to stay there for a while after giving the blood, and his parents were with him, and then... They looked at him and noticed that he was not just quiet, but that there were tears in his eyes, and his, his lip was quivering a little bit. And they asked him what was wrong. And then he asked them this question. How long until I die? And they, they gasped. They said, well, son, you're, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. And then... They were stunned by the amazement of what they recognized their son was thinking. He thought that by giving his blood, he would be giving his life for his sister. And so when he was asking, how, how long until I die, he really thought that that was what was going to happen to him. They could not imagine what their little boy had done. Now I want to ask you, do you think that little girl at any time growing up wondered if her big brother really cared for her? No. Do you think that she ever wondered if really he was good and would really even share things with her or care for her? Not on your life. If he was willing to do that, she could trust him. Well, friend, I want to tell you something. 
there is someone who knew that giving his blood for you would cost him his life. He knew that. And he came and he freely gave his life and he shed his blood for you and for me. Who was that? Our God. God did that. Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. That's simply amazing. That's simply amazing. And that's what I want us to focus on. It's been so deeply in my heart for us to focus on beginning today and for the next several Sundays. I want us to think and pray and ask God to give us a fresh understanding of what is simply amazing. God's all-sufficient grace. God's all-sufficient grace. It's infinite grace and it's specific grace. It's eternal grace and it's timely grace. It's for all of our needs and it's for each need. It is for every person and it is for every situation. All-sufficient grace and the reason we know this because that is who he is. And Dennis read this to us this morning. Turn 1 Peter chapter 5. I want you to notice one verse which he read for you this morning. And notice the name of this God who would give his blood. Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while... The God of all grace, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He's the God of all grace. And my friend, listen carefully what I'm about to tell you. This may very well be our biggest problem, what I'm about to share with you. Our biggest problem very well may be this. Believing that. Really believing That God is a God of all grace. That God is a God of all grace. Now someone may quickly say here, well, Sam, listen, we believe in God. What are you talking about, man? Look around you. Where are we this morning? We're here because we believe in God. I hope that's the case. But here's the question I want to ask you. What kind of God do you believe in? 
It's important to believe in God, but what do you believe about him? What kind of God do you believe in? Do you really believe God is good? Do you believe he's all good? Do you believe that not only is he all good, but do you believe that if he's all good, then all his intentions for you are good? My friend, I want to tell you something. What I have just said will define your life. You will live what you believe. And the answer to that question, do you believe God's intentions for you are good? Because you will live your answer to that question. Every person's life, all decisions are based on values. And our values are based on our faith. And our faith is based on God. And that is the God who exists in our minds. Is he good and does he want your good? You will live your life based on how you answer that question. And when you can answer it truly saying yes, you will never be the same. And you will never see life the same when you know that you know God is good and his intentions for me are good. He's my best friend. Now, how do we know that? Well, you see, that's what the Bible tells us. The Bible doesn't try to prove the existence of God. The Bible declares the existence of God taking it for granted that anyone looking around them or above them or even looking inside of them could know there's a God. You have to take a lot of classes to stop believing there's a God. You, you stop believing in God by degrees. Think about it. What's the truth about God? Here's the truth about God. Turn in your Bible if you want to know the truth about God. Well, turn... To Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I hope you can find that in your Bible. <laughs> if you get to the table of contents, you've gone too far. Just to the right of that. As you're turning there, let me tell you about a man named Kushner. Brilliant man, religious man, religious leader. He wrote a book which truly did make the bestseller list, and still sells by the thousands and thousands, even after all these years. I've turned that down. Doug gets a little warm, and <laughs> I'm so cool, you know. <laughs> There's a man by the name of Kushner, and he wrote a book called When Bad things happen to good people. When bad things happen to good people. Now, you don't have to buy the book. I'm going to tell you what it all sums up saying. Here's, here's the final analysis out of that book. 
Here's what Kushner decided. You can believe God is all-powerful or you can believe that God is all-good. But he can't be both. You can believe that God is all-powerful or you can believe that God is all-good but it can't be both because bad things happen to good people. And if God is all-powerful, then it wouldn't happen. If he was all-good, it wouldn't happen. So you've got a choice. Do you want a God who's all-powerful? Do you want a God who's all-good? He can't be both. But my friends, listen carefully. That is a false dichotomy. It starts with a false assumption. Here's the false assumption. It assumes, Dr. Kushner assumed that there are many people, most people, who are inherently good. When bad things happen to good people. And so what flows from that? Well, then these good people decide whether God is good, whether God is all-powerful. Uh, people and events determine whether God is all-good or all-powerful, but he can't be both. That all starts by believing there are people who are inherently, by their nature, good. What's the truth about God? Here's the truth about God. Chapter 1, Genesis, verse 31 the completion of the creation testimony. Verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. When God finished his creation, there was not chaos. Things were not out of order. It was not the meaningless slamming of particles. Forces without control producing unforeseen consequences. That's not what God created. It said he saw that all that he created was very good. Now here's the question. Put your thinking caps on. What do we learn from that statement? God saw that everything that he had created, and behold, it was very good. What do we learn from that? Well, most people would say something that is true, but there's, it's, not, it's not what is really there, ultimately. People would say, well, we learn from this that there was a time, long time ago, long, long ago, when everything was very good, and it's not now. That's what we would learn from that, that there was a time when everything was very good. No, that's not what you learn from that. What you learn from this is there is a source of everything that is very good. If everything was very good, then it had to come from a very good source. It came from a source that was completely good. Who is that source? God. Everything was created perfectly good because it came from a perfectly good God. 
That's what we learn. As a matter of fact, the name God in English, we get our word good from the Anglo-Saxon for God. The English word good comes from the Anglo-Saxon God. So that when you say, you ever think about it? When you say goodbye, goodbye, do you know what you're saying? God be with ye. God be with ye. You don't understand. You say, when you say goodbye, you're pronouncing a blessing. May God go with you. May this God go with you. Goodbye. You're maybe using King James English. That's okay. You can use King James English. That's just like Paul used. You know, he wrote the Bible in that. So, God be with me. But there's a problem. There's a problem. Now, we, we have a problem. What is the problem we have? The problem we have is the lie about God. You see, we have the revelation about God. He's good. Everything good came from him. Perfectly good. But now we have the lie. Now, I did not say a lie. I said the lie. Here is the lie. You see, the lie we have to face is, has to do with this. Well, if all is from God and God is good, but there clearly was something here. Look at chapter 3. There's something here that's not good. It, and so where, where did it come from? It's, it's, it's not good. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, you're reading with me? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What's not good? Snakes! <laughs> It had to be snakes. That's what my fellow Hoosier, Indiana Jones, said. Snakes. Had to be snakes. No. No, the problem's not snakes. That's not the problem. The problem's not the snake. The problem is what's in the snake. The problem is who is in the snake. It's not the serpent that's the problem. We know from the Bible, very clearly throughout the Bible, that it wasn't the serpent, it was the one, the evil one in the serpent. Using the serpent, the evil has a source. There's one that is evil, Satan. He has been evil from time immemorial. Now, one of the mysteries of the Bible that we cannot comprehend is that Satan was Lucifer. That was his original title, the Shining One. He was one of the guardian angels of the throne of God, maybe the highest of the angels. But the Bible simply says there came a time, listen carefully, that evil was found in him. Evil was found in him. What was the evil? Pride. He was not satisfied by being the highest of all creation. He wanted to take the role of the creator. He said, I will take the place of the most high. Evil was found in him. He led rebellion against God. And he and those 
that he led astray those angelic beings rebelled with him. They were cast out of the presence of God so that even before Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was evil. Now this evil one asks a question. It's interesting. What did he ask? Has God really said, actually said, that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What is it that he's questioning? He's questioning God's goodness. He's not just asking a question. There's a statement behind the question. Did God actually say that you can't do anything you want? You mean God actually said you can't eat whatever you want to eat, do whatever you want to do? And then when he's ready, he he goes forward and then he, he boldly attacks God. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He contradicts God. He just starts with questioning God, engaging her in the question. And then comes the flat-out lie. He's lying. You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of this that he has refused you. This is the secret. Your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What is he lying? What is he saying? You're not all you could be. He's lying. He's speaking of himself because this is exactly what was in his heart. I'm not all I could be. I could be higher than me, and higher than me is God. And if I can't have that, that's what I want. And he's doing the same thing he wants these image bearers. They are the image bearers of God, he wants their allegiance, he wants them to obey him rather than to obey the Father. And Eve listens to the serpent. Mark it down. Learn the lesson. Write in your Bible. Never listen to a snake. Never listen to a snake. Not even the snake standing on two legs. Don't listen to a snake. She knows the Father. She knows the Father. But she's experiencing something she's never experienced before. She's entertaining something she's never entertained before. What is it? Doubt. Does God really want me to have everything? Could I have everything I could? Is he holding back? Is he really trustworthy? And so what happens? The truth about God is attacked by the lie about God's goodness, and it brings the deception. There's the deception about God's goodness. Eve's focus turns not toward the upward, not toward God. It actually turns inward. You see, she's looking at the fruit. Think with me. She's looking at the fruit, but she's seen it before. It looks the same. It's beautiful. It's not that she's looking outward at the fruit. Really what's happening, she's looking inward. What she would want, what she could be, what it would be like. She's not looking on what she has. She can look around her. What does she have? Everything. 
She's only looking on the one thing she doesn't have. She's not looking at all the freedom. She's looking at the only limitation God's given her. Verse 6. The woman saw the tree that was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes. It was a tree to be desired to make one wise. Notice here the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. She saw it was good, saw it was delightful, saw it was desired to make one wise, and she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave also some to her husband who was with her. Now notice, isn't this something? After taking what's not hers and enjoying it, and no doubt for a moment, for a, for a moment, it was the most incredible experience of her life. Never had any of her God-given senses experienced what she was experiencing then. And notice the next thing she does is she gives it to her husband. She's actually now an emissary for the evil one. She gives it to her husband, and notice he's right there. It doesn't mean she had to go hunting Hey, honey, honey, <laughs> take a bite of this. No, 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 no. The, the original is very clear. She's, he's right there. Adam was standing right there. He's observing the whole thing. And he takes the fruit. He's not deceived. He takes it with his eyes wide open and enjoys it. He enjoys it. And for a moment... Oh, for a moment, it was incredible. But reality sets. Everything's ruined. Everything is ruined. They're not the same anymore. Something has happened dreadfully, terribly. Something's happened. Verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open. This is their conscience. Their conscience. They knew they were naked. That doesn't mean, hey, they just said, hey, no, we don't have any clothes on. No, that's not what it means. It means they... They recognized they were guilty. They'd never looked at each other. They... They were angry at each other. Oh, yeah, we shared this moment, but you make me sick now. And you're a mess, and I'm a mess. It's not what I thought it'd be. God's, God's going to find out about this. Look at us. They take leaves, try to cover themselves. They're ruined. Everything's ruined. How do you know things are different? How do you know it's ruined? Because God comes to call. <laughs> God comes to call. He's done this so many times before. And they hear the voice of God. They hear the Father's voice. It's the same voice, same God, same good voice, same kind voice, same sweet voice. And when they hear the voice of God, what do they do? Run. Not to him. 
They've always before gone bounding to the Father, bounding to the one, their creator, the one that has made them, their life sustainer, the one who's truly good. They've always run to him before, but now they run from him and they hide. And notice, what does God do? Oh, God throws down lightning. Oh, he breaks the earth in half. The stars fall from their sockets. No. What's God do? He knows. He knows what's happened. He knows. What does he do? He follows them. He calls their name. He finds them where they're hiding. You see, they run, but they can't hide. But who are they hiding from? Hiding from the good God. See, God's seeking the sinner. They're sinners. They're not seeking God. The only reason a sinner seeks God is because God's seeking him or her. God's seeking sinners. He calls their name. He comes to them. And what do they find out about God? Now, this is it, folks. This is it. What do they find out about God? What do we find out about God? This is it. We find out the revelation about God's goodness. That sin does not change God. What do we find out about God? Here's what we find out. God is holy, but he's not hateful. He's not hateful. God is holy, God is gracious, and God's going to give them hope. That's what he's going to do. That's what they're going to find out. Father God, who is good, is holy. And he is good and gracious. And he gives hope. And friends, that's what this Bible tells us about God. You want to sum it all up? God's holy. He's not like us. No one's like him. But God is good and gracious. And God gives us hope. That's what this book is all about. That's what God is all about. Here's how it happens. Verse 14, God is holy. He denounces sin. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and thus you shall eat all the days of your life. God denounces the serpent's sin. He denounces Adam's sin and Eve's sin. God denounces the sin. He judges the sin. But he offers hope to the man and the woman. He offers a hope. He makes a promise. God makes his first promise. Here it is. The, verse, the first 
gleam of hope. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you, you, the serpent, you, Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, those who will be your spiritual offspring that are coming, and her offspring. Now notice this, he, he, not they, he shall bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. What is this? This is the first statement of hope. God is holy, but God is gracious. God gives hope. What does he say? There is one coming from the woman. And this is the first hint. This is the first hint. And we would not know it except for the birth of Jesus, that the one coming would be virgin born. He would be the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man, the seed of the woman. He would be born of woman, but his father would be God. And he will come and do something, Satan. What will he do? This one who is coming will crush your head. He is going to conquer you. He's going to defeat you. He's going to defeat all you are about, evil. But in doing it, it's going to be a great wound to himself. He will bruise his heel. What is this? This is the first gospel. This is what the theologians call the proto-evangelium. There is coming a rescuer. There is coming a redeemer who will be born of the seed of the woman. He will conquer the enemy by overcoming all temptation and living a perfect life. Then he will overcome what Satan has done by obeying perfectly his father and suffering in death, the payment of death on the cross. His heel will be bruised with the spikes, but he will crucify sin. And he will conquer Satan. Amen. Praise God. When Jesus was crucified, he won. It is, what did he say? Finished. And God showed that what Jesus had done was enough. On the third day, he raised him from the dead. What a God. Holy and gracious, and he gives hope. And that's where the story begins. It's the story of this God who is good. And who is he good to? The people of the earth. He's good to us physically and emotionally. Physically and emotionally, God's good to us. Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15. You cause the grass to grow for livestock, for plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen his heart. Physically and emotionally, God provides. He's good. He's a good God. 
and he provides physically and emotionally, but most of all, he's going to provide for us spiritually. Psalm 98, verse 3, he, God, has remembered, he has remembered his steadfast love. That's the word for grace in the Old Testament. His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel, and not just them, all the ends of the earth have seen the what? Salvation of our God. He's a God who gives hope. Salvation is coming. Salvation is coming to this earth. Salvation is coming to the people of the earth. And how will salvation come? Salvation will come in the one who is the Savior. And praise God, he has come, right? He has come. And what was he like? What was God like when he got here? When God came down and he walked this earth, what was he like? John knew him better than anyone other than his own mother. And John said this, and the word became flesh. This eternal truth, this eternal message. God became flesh and dwelled among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as the only son from the father. And what is his glory that was shining among us? He was full of what? Grace and truth full of grace and truth. Friends, God is full of grace. He's the God of all what? Grace. Grace means favor. It means kindness. Do you understand what that means? It means God is kind. What did Martin Luther, the great reformer, say? If you see God in your mind, and his face is angry, you do not see him rightly. God is kind. He is good and gracious. And this grace came from God to us for all of our needs, physical, spiritual. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what Paul wrote to that colleague. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing salvation. God's grace has appeared. God's grace has been revealed. Bringing salvation for all people. What kind of people? What kind of people? Well, you know what Dr. Kushner would tell us? Good people. Bad things happen to good people. Really. No, God's greater than that. What kind of people is God good to? Look at Titus chapter 3 and notice what he says in verse 3 about the kind of people he is good to. I don't think Dr. Kushner maybe read this clearly. Chapter 3, verse 3, for we ourselves were foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy 
hated by others and hating one another. Does that sound like good people to you? Who is Paul talking about? Us, not them. He's talking about us, church-going folk. Here is what we are inherently. We're not inherently good. You know it and I know it. Look around. Nobody can understand what is going on in this world. We point our fingers, we blame, we want nice little simple answers. And with some pens on a paper, we can change things. What's the problem? Evil. The problem is us. Do you understand this, folks? We are the problem. The problem is us. But someone is greater than our problem. It's God. And he is good. And he's gracious. And his grace can change the darkest heart. And we know that. If you're a Christian, you know that, right? Don't you give in to simplistic answers. Don't you give in to throwing down your words. Don't you give in to this drive-by answer to what's wrong with our country. You share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's wrong. The Bible said as we get closer to the end, it will become darker and darker. More and more evil. But God still is good. And Christ saves. And this is our opportunity to give the answer. We're messed up, but he isn't. And he's made a way for us to be saved. We need to be saved. This is our hour, friends. And this is what is in my heart so much. God, help us. In this hour, when people want to know what in the world is going on, this is what's going on. We ourselves are foolish, disobedient. We're led astray. We are slaves to various passions and pleasures. We pass our days in malice and hatred for others. But God, in his goodness and kindness, has done what? He has appeared in our Savior, verse 4. He has saved us, not because of our works of righteousness, but according to his own mercy. He's washed us with regeneration in our hearts. He's given us his Holy Spirit. There's an answer, friends. We want to be good citizens. We need to be good citizens. But my friends, this is the hour for answers that last for eternity. And may we be people of those answers. May we give the understanding of what the core of the problem is and what the incredible answer is. It is in Jesus Christ. And there's an invitation. An invitation about God. And what's the invitation? Bible ends with the invitation. God's good. He's good. The spirit and the bride say, what? Come. And let the one who hears say, come. 
And let the one who is thirsty come. Now stop there. You see, it's not enough to be a sinner. We're all sinners. You got to be a thirsty sinner. Thirsty. I don't want to be this way anymore. I want a different life. Thirsty. Let him come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price, paid for by Jesus. Oh, isn't he good? Amazing. Where do we find this? You see, where? Where do I find this life? Where do I find this living water? Where is this fountain of life? Friends, he is the fountain of life. No church. No, no particular denomination. No place. It's a person. Revelation chapter 1. Listen to the glorified Jesus. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. To the thirsty... I will give from the water of life without payment. I will give the water. I will satisfy. I will forgive. I will give life. Come to me and drink. What was it Satan said to Eve? Go ahead. Taste sin. He didn't say sin, but he knew what it was. Taste it. It's good. Taste your freedom. It's good. Do what you want. It's good. You know what God says? Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord. Let's bow our heads. Oh, friend, I plead with you. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Do you believe God is good? Oh, friend, I'm asking you, pray for grace right now. Father, I believe you're good and your intentions for me are good. I believe this. Jesus gave his blood for me. I believe you're good. Forgive me for doubting you. Forgive me. For not talking to you about my plans. Forgive me for thinking you might say something I don't want to hear. But whatever you hear is good. You're good. Oh God, give me grace to believe this. Reorient my life. You're good. Oh, I, I pray for people right now that you'll ask God to give you that grace to know he's good. And friend, right now, God loves you. Your your sin, oh, don't listen to the enemy. Your sin is not too great. No, Jesus paid it. Oh, your sin is not as great as the blood of Christ. He is good. He will give you life. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. Come to him right now. Give your life to him right now. Believe in him. He will set you free. He's good. And you come just as you are.